Hello and welcome to the 24th episode of the What Type Ones Eat podcast. This is the last episode of this series and after that I'm going to take a little break and come with a completely different themed um, series for you and I know it will be just as interesting. If you don't know what What Type Ones Eat is, it is a podcast about what type 1 diabetics eat, how they manage their blood sugars and what they do to live their lives to the full. Um, And today my guest is very very special and very close to me and it's my mum and we actually talk um, a bit about me like a lot of people have been asking me to make a podcast about me and that's what I decided to do in the last podcast of this series. But we also talk a lot about um, how it is to be a parent with type 1 and how it is to go through a diagnosis of your own child. But before we hop into this episode, I just want to remind you that nothing we talk about on this podcast is intended as medical or nutritional advice and that you should always consult a medical professional before making any changes to your healthcare plan. Um, yeah, so without further ado, let's hop into the episode. Привет, Майс! Привет, my dear. How are this you? This is so weird speaking in English because we used like we're used to speaking Russian usually. That's okay. Um, I'm flexible, as you know, either way. So very happy to be here and uh, very happy to be on your podcast and um, happy to do my best uh, talking about um, the topic you want to discuss. Yeah, it sounds like you're generally very happy about life at the moment. <laughs> Well, uh, I would say I'm optimistic. Um, that's what keeps me going always. Um, it's not genetic for our um, uh, origin, so to say, or our, uh, you know, co-patriots normally, because life has been yeah. uh, not so easy for us, but optimism to say the least. Going. Yeah, optimism, what's keep you going? I'd say no. I think we're not optimists. We're more realists. True, but, but uh, you have to keep cheering up yourself and uh, I think my position has always been you have to know your goal work towards it and um, uh, be you know philosophic and and easy about things that uh, go wrong on the way because you do have your goal and um, that's how we keep going yeah well I'm really excited to have you here we've been playing this for like ages and I just think have like listening to your experience for my all of my audience and especially parents with type ones would be really important and quite helpful because I've been wanting to ask you a lot of questions about this but I know you always handle things in a very optimistically realistic way so um I'm gonna go in and ask my first question to you um I just want to start right from the get-go um like just tell me a bit my a bit about my diagnosis which sounds kind of funny but um yeah just what was it like and then like what actually happened Mm -hmm. um sure that's probably the least optimistic part of of the story I must say it's the most Uh, realistic yeah but uh, we were uh caught by surprise so to say um the and and it all happened by chance that we had that uh diagnosed um 
looking back, um, basically what happened is that you um, had like a cold or something. And we went to doctors because of that. You were uh, just about turning six years old, slightly before that, a couple of months before that. Um, and uh, so we went to the doctors and they did the blood tests as well. And the sugars were higher than the normal. So they said, okay, well, go do the uh, other tests and HB1AC among them. Um, and uh, when that came out, um, you know, I, we came to see the doctor again um, and he said, uh, there should be no doubt it's type one. And it was a shock, well, I wouldn't describe it properly if, if I say it was a shock, it was, like you know a thunder into my head basically yeah. um and that day i remember vividly very well because you know as you know i'm you know i had a pretty tough job uh, a very demanding one and i was supposed to present at a board of directors of one big company that day and were like they were listening to me looking at me as as a god to give them some wisdom that's so, a lovely but coincidence my, yeah, but the, my mind, as you can understand, was completely off. But I had to go and present. Uh, and after that, I ran home. Uh, we called everyone we could think of who knew something about diabetes. Um, and yeah, we were told by people who knew things that Finland is the country where uh, there is a very high percentage of people who do have uh, type 1, and therefore they have best treatments that so literally that day without coming home uh, I asked uh, your father to get some of my stuff together in a business suit I went to the airport and he went with you from home and we flew off to Finland um, so yeah. so that was to say the least a shock yeah I didn't know that you actually had to like do a meeting I remember it was like all very rushed but obviously I was like mm. five years old um, do you remember by any chance, like at what level my sugars were? Uh, I do remember, uh, I don't remember the HB1AC, but what I remember is where, as we arrived in Finland, uh, we literally, not next day, the day after we managed to have an appointment with a professor, um, a specialist in type one. Uh, and the day before that we have had to live there. And we already had glucometer somehow at the time. I can't remember how we got it, but someone said you should go and buy it. We did buy it. And I remember that your sugar was at like 20. Oh. Um, like, uh, but in the morning uh, of that day oh, before wow. the appointment. So, okay. so like clearly a fasted you were already, one. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, really, really high. But um, I think then started. I started thinking back and I've, figured that you did have some symptoms but they were not really very uh clear really like you know wanting to go to the loo or more often than, than before uh losing weight a little bit but you were very skinny in any case so uh it was my preconceptions at the time were that only people who are obese may have diabetes uh, that kind of stuff um so that was so, my next question, actually. Like, how much yeah. did you know about what diabetes actually was? Absolutely nothing. Okay. Until we arrived in Finland, where we had that first appointment, and we did have a crush course. Uh, 
They kept you in the hospital for five days. Uh, I remember we, together with your father, in turn was sleeping underneath your bed, literally in the hospital because there was no space. It was like children's hospital and we didn't want to leave you alone there just to support you rather than because you didn't feel well or anything. You, I think, were somewhat scared and shocked as well. Um, and so we basically I do actually were... vividly remember my dad sleeping next to me and I remember him yeah. injecting insulin, but I, for some reason, don't remember you sleeping down there. No, no. I was there because we did it in turn again. One yeah. night he did, the other one I did. Um, and so basically we, uh, right then we started searching around for people in Russia where we lived and worked uh, who are proper professionals in that area and elsewhere in America, as you may remember. So we started in a rush to do all that search and also learning about what type one was and how to manage it uh, and what that was really and what's life with it. Yeah, and so, um, so like how long did it actually, after all of that happened, obviously it was a huge shock, but how long did it take you to sort of normalize this new life for me because obviously it changed a lot for you as well yeah um it took a while uh as you i'm sure remember you had a nanny uh before that um and i wasn't at all sure that she would be able to handle the uh bg management um for you um yeah so we had to uh, but she luckily managed to do it we also found in Russia, as you remember, a doctor who was happy um, to have you um, supervised as you go. And she was happy to uh, consult you on a daily or hourly basis if you need to. What we needed to do is to tell her what, she, what you ate, you know, the uh, carb count, uh, time, uh, blood sugar numbers, etc. So she had she was happy to provide that service on an ongoing basis, which we started using right away. Yeah, she but was think, a, an absolute mm -hmm. angel for me, I think, and for yeah. anyone who looked after me as well, because like in UK and you and in the US, it's like unheard of to have something Absolutely. like that. And Absolutely. I was lucky super, to. super lucky to have that. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I'm still with touch with her, as you might well know. And she's like very supportive anyway and happy to give like some bits of advice here and there if I need mm -hmm. to. So that's a very great connection that um, I was lucky to get at such a yeah. young point in time. Early that's right yeah and and your carers like myself your grandma who was participating in and the nanny they all really uh took advantage of of that person uh in a good way but i think the important part in terms of getting to normal was the mental part and that took me the longest because i literally was crying every time i thought about it like on the way to work, um, the way to the doctor from the doctor, etc. Uh, but at that time, um, I found, um, or oh, my sister gave me a connection of some yeah, person, uh, a family in their school um, here in Russia, uh, who had the same situation for her son. And her son, I remember, was 12 at the time. And um, she told me that lady, and it stopped crying. It's life just goes on. 
look at my son. He's 12 years old. He was diagnosed like also five or six years ago, but she is right now somewhere in the mountains together with his school uh, climbing the mountain. So you can manage it and children grow to know how to manage it and life goes on. Just look at it that way. Uh, and I, I slowly hope I managed grew to prove that. that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, uh, you absolutely did ultimately. But another thing was managing everyone around because I had, I, I put on into my mind the position that this is life. It's not a tragedy as like your grandparents tried to portray it. It's just life. And it's not a disease, it's a condition and we have to live with it. Uh, I'm assuming it was quite so, hard to manage my dad as well because he has the tendency of um, making anything, things yeah. a little bit exaggerated. But um, sure. yeah. yeah, but that's just it was, a, it was, a, a life yeah. thing. So Yeah, but it was quite funny when, you know, four or five years down the road, uh, he would go with you somewhere, as you may remember, to Mexico or something and your sugars are like high. He, you can't yeah. put it back down and control it for a couple of days he really starts panicking yelling and all that and you know, yeah yeah but that's so, like just if you were way of, of sort of portraying stress really so that's true um, yeah that's true. I guess and like obviously bl high blood sugars they're not a, a simple way not mentally not anything to manage and I'm thinking maybe like because he was so stressed at diagnosis maybe mm. now every time I got a high blood sugar he also got stressed you know yeah because that's sort of that triggered yeah. that chain rea reaction mentally right maybe but coming back to that doctor and that will lead me to the next stage in life so to say um you know when uh, you you know, you had the nanny and and carers around you and in your teenage years or really early teenage teenage years like 12 13 years old you started feeling you don't want to be controlled and you don't want to be supported you are on your own uh you're self-sufficient you can do it yourself uh and that was about you know not having an au pair uh, or any so to say and etc and taking care of your bgs yourself and at that point you gone into that stage where you said uh you know i'll i'll connect with that doctor myself but at some point you said oh no uh, i can do it completely myself because it's too much work to give her my bgs every time i test them uh and that was that you know rejection period so to say um, i think it's the teenage period that uh, everyone kind of goes through and we try like as teenagers we kind of try to be as normal as we possibly can but then we still have this disease to sort of take care of and yeah it's kind condition, of condition condition there okay sorry yeah that's my bad i never use the word disease but my blood sugars are low so um <laughs> um they actually are just treated um and yeah i just think it's like this rejection period that we sort of go through um which everyone does um, point, and I yeah. think that's why teenage years, apart from the growth sport spurts, that's why the teenage years are so difficult for um, type one diabetic parents. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that is actually, true. But with, coming yeah. back to the growth spurts, did you like notice ups and downs in my insulin sensitivity during that period? Do you remember? Uh, I wouldn't say it was something very different from 
what it was before, um, I would say, because there were periods, like short periods of time, like for a month, when we can control it well, then periods where we could not control it well. Uh, but I think in reality, we knew still quite little about how to manage the PGs. You know, pre-bolus wasn't the thing we ever heard of. Um, you know, fats that create some uh, potential spikes uh, after some period of time after meal when we haven't really heard of. What yeah, I learned I to do very well. You learned from me already. All, almost, yeah. But uh, what I learned, all, all I knew uh, or, or I learned to do is very quickly count carbs literally by looking at a meal. I'm like um, jealous of how you count carbs, actually, because you always get it right. And I just don't. So like whenever mm -hmm. I don't know how much carbs there is in a meal, I'm just like, take a photo, send it to mom and ask her how much there is in there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's basically all we knew. And another thing we always were talking with doctors about um, whether we should take blood tests two hours after meal an hour and a half after meal, should we do an injection at the time of the meal uh, or right after when we know how much you ate and all of that. So some, and the guidances were all over the places from like do it just four times a day to do it before meal, after meal and an hour and a half and then in another three hours, something like this. So, and there was no Libras or Dexcoms at the time, obviously, which just, um, they you know, probably, uh, they, yeah, they were just emerging, I think, but like, obviously yeah. Russia still doesn't really have access to much of that. Oh um, uh, yeah. Although you would be surprised they're now uh, advertising Libra here. So it's already present finally. No, so Libra's, can... Libra's been there for quite a while. I think it's now getting like more, um, uh, I'm thinking right of spread. Russian words. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, widespread, like yeah. Mm -hmm. more widespread. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. so um, when you actually gave away the control to me, um, I remember my blood sugar wasn't the best to say the least. Mm -hmm. um, but how did you feel about that? Uh, well, I've been worried is the answer, but it, we did it in some ways gradually because the beginning of that period, you were still at home with the family with, uh, in Russia and there were people around you know, who cooked the, you know, the food and all that. They kind of knew what the story was and your grandmother was around. Um, so I felt easier, but then when you ended up going to uh, the UK to boarding school, that's where it was a lot more worrying. But that worry uh, overlapped with my feel that you were very stressed out anyways by the new condition mm -hmm. by everything you 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 saw there and you felt there and i didn't want to push on you because frankly when you went to boarding school the blood sugars were like even hb1ic's were like in the eighth area yeah. uh so it was higher than they should be and i was carefully trying to remind you of consequences potential consequences if you keep it that way but I knew that when you were stressed with new school, with exams, it was completely foreign environment. And so I didn't really push you that much. Um, uh, just by reminding and, and helping you to with advice as to how to manage where I could. Uh, yeah, but then the thing you came is, I was really... really stressed out and I do not have any recollection whatsoever of you reminding me of the consequences. Mm -hmm. um, because I was way too focused on like, 
other stuff that was going in Mm. my life that was so like stressful I just remember like I literally cried pretty much every single day when I first came to boarding school because it was so new and like it just felt really lonely because if you think of it like I moved to another country I kind of didn't have any friends there and like my entire world was flipped and it was all in a different language as well Um, obviously it wasn't that much of a language barrier to me because I've always spoken English um, as I was born here but um, yeah it, it was really really hard um yeah and of course um, yeah I'm assuming boarding school was a worry to you throughout my entire time here because it never got to an okay stage yeah that's true and um uh, well you may or may not remember this but you know the whole boarding school thing came from um you know a you want to be independent and you like really wanted to do it yourself live your own life and that was a way to do it. But for us, uh, I mean, your parents, it was the desire to give you education that will give you a lot more freedom and future choices than if you were to stay in Russia. Um, and so that's why you ended up in the boarding school, but because obviously we worked and lived here uh, in Russia uh, while the, the school was in, in, in the UK. Um, uh, but then, uh, you know, in the after the first year, we were seriously considering whether you should come back, and then collectively decided that maybe not that you should finish it. Um, I definitely remember like, all of that because um, I know that you've always made sort of me think that I have the choice, or like me make the choice, basically. But you've mm-hmm. always guided it the way. So, like, I would never say that, like. I hated boarding school and I put any blame on both of you whatsoever because I know it was a collective decision and I was a big part in that decision and I can't say that like it's anybody's fault that it turned out turned out this way so um yeah um I definitely think it wasn't maybe as we wanted it to be but then we didn't know so yeah but let's not you know discuss uk boarding schools you know god bless them but uh, i mean no but like uk boarding schools are fine it's just the way i took it so like it's a different experience for everybody that's right but i guess one thing that it uh, taught you to do is to really be independent and not like in your wishes but in reality and reality um, you know, you, you really have to be a lot more organized to take care of yourself a lot more than you would do if you were living with a family in all kinds of respects. And your situation was exaggerated or uh, made more difficult by the fact that you had the, the um, type one. So uh, all that made you organized... a lot more dis- Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so go ahead. No, it, w- it made you a lot more disciplined, although you were always kind of mature person so to say even your teachers in Russia used to say that you're more mature than your classmates despite the fact that you were younger age-wise than most of them uh but uh, yeah but the boarding school made you grown up uh effectively um I think my like organized and sort of ordered things came a little bit later though 
obviously, Mm. yeah, I had to take care of myself and I still was taking care of my diabetes to, I guess, the best of my abilities at the time. Like I never gave up on it completely, as you might remember. Um, I've Mm -hmm. always been checking my blood sugars and like doing my insulin. So there was none of that. But then as like, I, as you remember, um, we said we'd touch on this a bit. Um, I did develop an eating disorder whilst I was there. So that was on top of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just an all round difficult decision, but, oh, sorry, difficult time. But um, the actual organization came more in university, I feel. Mm-hmm. But I guess like- all You mean the- in terms of type 1D um, or overall? Um, <clears throat> Well, definitely in terms of type one, but probably overall yeah, right. yeah, it was developed in boarding school. Like the mm-hmm. kind of life side of organization was developed in boarding school, but then yeah. the type one side of organization was developed definitely yeah. in uni. Yeah. And I, I think that ultimately talking about uni was the good thing that, you know, with all new environments still, um, you started focusing more on on type one and the BG levels and how to manage them. And um, I am very happy to say that with you know you being you, very concrete and specific person and very well organized, you, you decided to take care of it yourself, realizing all the consequences finally that it may lead to if you don't. You know, uh, I and, don't think yeah. it was about the consequences because really? yeah, mm-hmm. the thing is. I, if you remember, especially in my like first year of uni, I just remember being so anxious all the time. I had like breakdowns every other day. And I just like, my mental health was so, so bad that I just couldn't do it anymore. And I am quite confident that that was because of my blood sugars, because, Mm -hmm. you know, like now when I'm high, I do get super stressed out, like really stressed out. I can manage it but it's like very difficult to stress to not be stressed out um yeah and we all hide in the corners when that happens or when you go low (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like I do my best okay don't don't I'm joking a devil (laughs) I think I've even I've got a lot better at it over the last year like after Mm -hmm. lockdown lockdown was a bad one um But yeah, in any case, I think my mental health issues were like massively from my poor blood sugar control because I remember Mm -hmm. like being in the 20s one day and then in the twos the other day, or it was just like Mm -hmm. a consistent roller coaster for me. And Mm -hmm. no one will feel good at those kind of blood sugars. Like I knew highs were bad, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know like it was so related to it. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and yeah. I just remember like there there wasn't really good advice for me either. There just yeah. wasn't. Like when I went to my nurses to ask, why am I 20 all the time after my breakfast? They were like, mm, I don't know, maybe change what you eat for breakfast. There was nothing said about pre-bolusing, like <laughs> not a single thing. Um, and that was quite frustrating to be quite honest. So it was ultimately Daphne course, right? That's you know, the, the course organized by... Um... Uh, the local health service that actually gave you the information about pre-bolus and, and how to manage the, the BG spikes you know around what? meals. Mm. No, Daphne course doesn't t- t- teach you a thing about pre-bolusing. 
Um, the Daphne course was where all of it started. So they teach you about matching your insulin to your carbs, but they mm -hmm. don't speak about insulin timing. Um, so matching we, insulin to your carbs that we learned in, you know, in Finland 15 but years you ago. Did. But you did. You oh, did. Okay. I didn't. Okay. Um, <clears throat> from like, I think from whenever I became independent, when I completely stopped calling the doctor, I sort of started winging it to say so with mm -hmm. my carbs and I just stopped counting them. And then as I developed an eating disorder, I stopped counting them for the sake of sort of getting out of it because like the advice for getting out of the eat of an eating disorder is to store stop tracking what you're eating and things but of course with type one it's completely a different situation um mm -hmm. and then for a very very long time I was just afraid to count my carbs and I was just doing sort of the same amount of insulin for every meal independent of what I was eating if that makes sense so as you can yeah. imagine my blood sugars were definitely all over the place. Um, mm. And then I didn't know how to set my basils either. And all of that was taught at Daphne. Um, and I don't know why I didn't like count my carbs, so to say before. Well, I don't, I just told you why. But um, yeah, all of that was taught at Daphne. And then mm -hmm. the way I learned about pre-bolusing was the podcast. Uh, the juice box podcast that you know I've also mm. been on um, yeah. and I still listen to to this day I like it when I started listening to it, it had like 400 300 episodes I think and I just binged listened to them over a summer like um, it taught me so so much and I think the most I got from it was the community like I I definitely felt really alone before that and that actually did start with the Daphne course as you said so like the Daphne was kind of the starting point of everything for me yeah yeah I think I I felt on my side that the community uh changed the world for you and uh you know thanks to the internet and social networks that now exist um that you can learn from people you can uh be part of a group uh, and you don't, you know, and you don't feel, and you don't call it a disease, really. Um, and you also it's not. probably <laughs> exactly, but um, if through that community, you can also feel that you can help other people if if uh, you know stuff or something worked for you, and you think may work for the other people. So, I think that's tremendously, um, tremendously important. Yeah. So I think like for for me and for my journey now, I have. I do think I manage diabetes like at a pro level by now because I it's really not that difficult. It's just about understanding how insulin works. And then it doesn't matter that much what you're using, a pump or pens. Okay, it does matter, but not too much. So you can still have very good control on pens as well as on pump. It's just figuring out how insulin works for you and remembering about insulin timing. And that's like the two key things. Um, I also think for me, what Daphne course taught me is not to overtreat hypos. Because what I used to do is to like shove a lot of food into me without a second thought mm -hmm. about how fast it will work. And that's mm -hmm. what sent me high. And then obviously mm -hmm. that made a roller coaster. 
but then, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm sorry yeah. go ahead I just remembered one funny situation where you were a child still and was uh, you know you had a, a a hype or a real bad one and I had to treat it quickly so what I gave you was a portion of ice cream and popcorn and like you know, an hour after you're like in the twenties again, and I called a doctor of ours and she goes, what did you give her to treat hypo? And I told her what, and she said, hmm, <laughs> well, that was an yeah. interesting way of doing it. But that's again, how much we knew about how fast carbs work, which ones to, to give and when. So we did our best at the time. Sorry, yeah, I interrupted I, you. No, no. I also remember like the situation when I had a really bad hypo and I don't know why. Remember in John Lewis, um, we were like in the oh, bed yeah, section. A, it um, was a really bad. Case. It was a seizure, actually. I think it wasn't yeah, like a hypo. Yeah. But why didn't you have glucose on you? Like, why? Uh, we usually did. We usually did, uh, but we weren't really told uh, it's the best way of dealing with it. We've always had some juice with us. Uh, but you didn't that we time were told, because I yeah, remember we my told, dad running. That's for right. It. Yeah, but we were told that apples are as good as, uh, and that's what I had uh, at the time. But it, frankly, it was just rare coincidence, an unfortunate one when we didn't have juice with us because we usually did. Maybe you've used glucose, it up already or something. I can't remember now, to be honest with you, yeah. but we usually did have juice and or um, uh, apples. Yeah, you know, it's just bad timing, whatever. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, juice is a good one. I use juice to the to this day, but apples appear to have a very low glycemic index, which was a um, very interesting discovering for me. Discovery for me after yeah. Daphne course, actually. Yeah. So yeah, um, do you have any questions for me that you want to ask me? Um, I guess uh, what I wanted to say is that um, I take my head off for you as to um, how far you've gone into learning about uh, managing type one and trying to help yourself and other people. Um, but uh, it's, it's a road to, to go. It's not like a sprint. It's, it's a marathon uh, for many years. Um, we were, by the way, in the beginning with hoping it's gonna, you know, it is treatable and we've you know, even, done quite a lot to figure out you know uh, to and even you know support some of the research that was doing um, uh, beta cells uh, encapsulation and stuff like that but ultimately now i think pretty much as uh, you know pretty much everyone is clear that that's a a marathon to run or or walk uh, through the whole life um and you're doing it very well from my perspective as i told you before but um it's important to keep in mind that it's uh, it's yet another job on top of everything else that you do because it's always with you and, and your focus and part of your mind is always on that. But um, what I would want to ask you, I guess, is what do you um, feel is the main challenge for you now as you go with knowing um, what it is like and what are the main you know, sensitive points to watch after? What you is know, it? And, and it may be mental or, or, you know, physical, whatever, but I wonder what's the most difficult sure or challenging me, part. For me, it's now all about the mental and how, like, I think about trying out new things. And it's obviously new things are just scary because it's unknown territory. And like, 
I feel like for me, the most important thing is not to keep sticking into a routine because that really makes me afraid of going out of a routine. So I need to make consistent effort to go eat out, go do new, do new things, go travel somewhere and not to be afraid of it. And that's what I'm consistently working on, as you might know. Um, and also just like keeping, I don't know, keeping up the social life, but also not only in the diabetic part, but right. making sure that you have a good balance of people on the diabetes side that you can go and talk to, but also people that have no clue about diabetes that you can go mm -hmm. and just hang out with because you like them as people, not because they have type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, important to know. And I think that's yet another stage in, in life with diabetes, so to say, because you go from knowing little about it into knowing a lot. Uh, you know, having very poor routine to a very good one, then being stuck to routine now, thinking, you know, maybe you should step out of routine sometimes for the sake of other things. Uh, and I think that's just life. Life goes through, you know, circles and, and stripes. Uh, it's not uh, all even. Uh, but with that, I always would say that, you know, you being a perfectionist, you probably shouldn't feel so bad if you missed it uh, or it didn't go the way you you felt it should or you planned because it's not it is a science of course but there's a lot more of an art there um, yeah but that's and, exactly my point about trying to not stick to a routine because in a routine um, it's very easy to get stuff right and yeah. that's why I really value a routine as a general but having days out having times that you just you just make something else more important than your diabetes, you know, and like, it's just it shouldn't be overtaking and stopping you from absolutely anything in life, you should not be afraid to go and do stuff. And obviously, you should not be afraid to screw up occasionally. Um, yeah, yeah I, I do. And think it's a journey. Right. And it's a journey. You, you again, you can't, uh, you have to think about it uh, in in the long term as a, as a long term journey, and you have to have it uh, happy and, and life uh, and have a full life and that's um, that's also very important yeah and I hope well awesome. science is moving forward so you know sure. maybe what you guys thought a couple years ago oh, a couple years ago at my diagnosis maybe at some point we will have insulin that you just inject one time a day and then it just uh, magically does the work for you yeah, if we have artificial intelligence now being implemented in various areas, why not in uh, type 1 management? It, it is. Yeah, well. Very much looping is um, pretty much there for um, Omnipod and for T-Slim, mm -hmm. which I hope I'm going to yeah. get very soon. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we're in like our, our highest hopes at the moment. Yeah. But I, as I said, I've always said this, I don't think there's going to be a cure but there's definitely going to be a better solution. So, yeah, fair enough. I now agree with that. Having gone the, you know, the full circle from yes, we fight for a cure uh, and then understanding that, you know, uh, it's not going to come soon, if anything. So uh, it, or it may look in a very different way than we think, because, you know, smart insulin is kind of a cure. Basically, if you inject once or, you know, once a week, uh, it's almost there. I am happy to inject five times a day, but not think about mm -hmm. carb counting or anything. Exactly. 
Like literally, exactly. it's just, I don't care about the sort of mechanical Number side. Yeah. It's more about mm-hmm. the mindset side because it does take a ton of your mind space, as you say. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of files get filled up with it and you can you know, use it for better things to do. But you okay. Know- it what is I, what it is. The last but... thing I quickly wanted to touch on with you is uh, mm-hmm. my cousin obviously has type one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, what kind of role did you play to help your sister get through the diagnos- diagnosis part and like managing part? Um, well, obviously she knew something from me um, as to um, what the story is because he was diagnosed like three and a half years after you were. Um, and he was like under two, I believe, uh, at the time. Um, so I directed my sister to the doctors right away. Uh, and basically by the symptoms, they already knew that something was going wrong. So they didn't uh, discover it by accident. They really started suspecting something and then went and, and uh, diagnosed him. So it never went to coma or anything because... For us, it, it was by chance. For them, it was already by design, um, so to say, because they knew from us what it may look like. Uh, so we directed to that same doctor that that uh, uh, you monitored and, and guided you. Um, and oh, were they so, in Russia at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, they were, of course, uh, of course. Um, and I, I tell you, I, I think we advised them to go to Finland as well so that they just get the crash course, but I can't remember whether they did, to be honest with you. Um, so, uh, and then with that doctor who is, as you know, very skillful and stuff, she, um, uh, she was very helpful at the beginning, but then, you know, they uh, went to America where they now uh, are. Uh, as you know, and they basically got into a hospital and now they're uh, being monitored by the same hospital um, next door to which they live. Uh, and they're at the in time, Barbara that Davis Center, of, aren't they? In yeah, Denver. Barbara Davis, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest ones in the US, which they're quite yeah. lucky of. So. Yeah, but we, we went there with you as well, by the way. Um, it was, I think, right after your cousin was diagnosed, we were there for, we went to New York to the uh, Columbia University to the top professors in this, uh, and you know I don't remember if you remember that or not, but basically uh, before or right after that we went to Barbara Davis as well. Um, but obviously, you know they can just say what they see, and your case was anything, nothing out of the ordinary. But then you have to be monitored and and guided through the process, and you can only do it if you're there. What was um, so, your um, sort of goal when you went to all of those doctors? What, what were you trying to find out? Uh, we were trying to find out a best way to manage it. You know, like I told you about this debate about when to test blood sugars, when to inject, uh, before, after meal, whatever, how many times a day. Um, uh, and then the second thing, yeah, the newest technologies was another thing, because obviously they weren't available in Russia, but they were in the States. Uh, and the other thing was potential cure. That was another thing that we went for to uh, Colombia, for example. Did they tell you um, anything interesting about it? They, what they said, uh, that they think it's uh, the only uh, realistic hope is stem cell, cells uh, technology. But it's a few years away. At the time, it was like 2007 or something. They said it's like, you know, 10, 15 years away. Uh, but that was all they, they said. 
that there was no other way in their view. Okay, well, that so makes sense. That. Yep. Okay, Mama, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and thank you for carving out some time in, uh, in your very, very busy schedule. Now, my dear, it was a pleasure uh, as ever. And um, I, I'm glad I was on it. And I certainly hope that your podcast and other things you do will help other people to manage it the way you do. I am absolutely sure that um, your interview with me will help a lot of people and especially parents with type one. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a nice way to end this series and also share a little bit about me because I always interview people on this podcast and never quite talk about myself. Um, I want to say a huge thank you to my mom for sharing so many insights in, uh, into type 1 diabetes and being a parent of a type 1 and I really hope it helps as many parents as possible and as, just as many type 1s as possible. Um, as always, I leave my links in the show notes. I am at T1LevelDaria uh, on Instagram and uh, my website is www.t1leveldaria.com. Um, I am super happy to have you here as usual. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on your podcast app because that really helps this podcast reach um, a lot more people. Um, and yeah, I will take a break for a month and I will be back with a completely new series where I want to interview um, scientists in the type 1 diabetic field. So um, I hope you have a lovely month and à tout à l'heure.